In our last episode, we looked at the prospects of the war in Gaza escalating and evolving into a regional conflict. We spoke of how all eyes were trained on Iran-backed Hezbollah in Lebanon. Hezbollah, as we predicted, are yet to open a second front. But in Yemen, the Iran-backed Houthis have stepped into the fray. The naval forces of the Yemeni armed forces have carried out a military operation targeting an American ship in the Gulf of Aden with a number of appropriate naval missiles and the strike was accurate and direct. Cargo vessels using the internationally vital Red Sea shipping lanes, which lead into the Suez Canal, have been targeted with missiles and drones, boarded or seized by the armed group. In one instance, a seized ship has been turned into a tourist attraction. The Ansar Allah group, known in the West as the Houthi group, after their leader, have done this in retaliation for Israel's ongoing genocide in Gaza. The Yemeni armed forces confirm the continuation of trade movement in the Arabian Sea and Red Sea to all destinations except the ports of occupied Palestine and that they continue to take all defensive and offensive measures within the right to defend and confront the American-British aggression. In response to the Houthi attacks, the US and UK have stepped in and struck back. UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak addressed Britain's parliament on January 15th. The Houthis' attack on international shipping have put innocent lives at risk. They have held one crew hostage for almost two months, and they are causing growing economic disruption. Global commerce cannot operate under such conditions. Containers and tankers are having to take a 5,000-mile detour around the Cape of Good Hope. That pushes up prices and imperils the passage of goods, foods and medicines that the British people and others rely on. So, once again, Yemen is being bombed from the air. This week, we look at the impact and reasoning behind the Houthi attacks on shipping lanes, the retaliatory strikes by the US and UK, and what this means for the ceasefire that only recently halted the war in Yemen. My name is Hugo Goodridge, and you're listening to The New Arab Voice. Before we get into our main story, a brief update on the situation in Gaza. The war in Gaza has now passed the 100-day mark. On January 19th, the Ministry of Health reported that at least 24,762 civilians have been killed, the vast majority women and children. An estimated 85% of the population have now been forcibly displaced, some multiple times. A famine is now unfolding in many parts of Gaza, with food supplies dwindling at an alarming rate. 930,000 people have been judged to be facing an emergency level of food insecurity, and 378,000 people are judged to be facing a catastrophic level of food insecurity. 
Overcrowding and unsanitary conditions mean that diseases are spreading rapidly among the population, and a lack of medical supplies mean that many are going untreated. Decomposing bodies are also adding to the public health crisis. Jagan Shapagan, Secretary General of the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies, spoke about the severity of the situation at the World Economic Forum in Davos on January 16th. Humanitarian point of view, what we are seeing is uh, uh, the health, uh, uh, care crisis, basically. The health facilities, a majority of them are not working, even the ones who are working face, uh, you know, power supply, water supply, medical supply. Also, the doctors and nurses have been overworking, uh, uh, you know, 24-7 in, in the early days. So, Also on January 16th, a deal between Israel and Hamas was brokered by Qatar to allow the delivery of aid into Gaza and medicines for the captives. The deal followed a visit by the families of Israeli captives held in Gaza to Qatar and a meeting with the Gulf nation's prime minister. On January 17th, the Qatari foreign ministry said two planes arrived at El Arish airport in Egypt near the Gaza border with 61 tonnes of aid provided by Qatar and France, including medicine and food. As the situation in Gaza has continued to decline, the Houthis in Yemen have stepped up attacks on ships navigating the Red Sea. The message from the Yemeni people to the Palestinian people and to our noble, steadfast brothers in Gaza, the West Bank and all of Palestine, we are with you and by your side. If it were not for the geographical barriers and obstacles created by our enemies and criminals, our blood would have been shed alongside yours and our limbs would have scattered with yours. Before we dive in, it's worth reminding ourselves briefly who the Houthis are. The Houthi movement, also known as Ansar Allah, emerged in Yemen in the 1990s. They were opposed to Yemeni President Ali Abdullah Saleh, who they saw as being corrupt and in the pocket of Saudi Arabia and the US. In 2011, they joined with other opposition groups in mass protests against President Saleh, which eventually forced him from office. But the militant group really came to prominence in 2014 when they rose up against the government, plunging the country into a brutal civil war and an intense humanitarian crisis. The civil war pitted the Houthis against a coalition led by Saudi Arabia, who engaged in an intense aerial bombardment campaign against the group that ultimately proved unsuccessful despite devastating much of the country. Fighting between the two sides raged for years, but subsided in 2022 with a UN-brokered ceasefire, which has, for the most part, held. With the normalisation of relations between Iran and Saudi Arabia in April 2023, Omani-brokered talks between the Houthis and Saudi Arabia were established. Today, the Houthis control much of the west of the country, including the capital of Yemen, Sanaa. There is a lot more to be said about Yemen's civil war and the Houthi movement. But in brief, that brings us up to date and to the Houthi attacks on the shipping lanes in the Red Sea off the coast of Yemen. Let's start with the obvious question. Why are they attacking shipping lanes? They are ideologically committed to the Palestinian cause. They know that the Yemeni people are massively uh, in support of Palestine. This is Abdul Ghani al-Iriani. I'm a senior researcher at Sam'a Center for Strategic Studies, which is the, the paramount uh, think tank in Yemen. 
they see a genocide going on right in front of their eyes and they feel compelled to uh to contribute to uh the defense of the Palestinian people the houthis started targeting merchant ships in november their efforts are focused on ships using the bab al-mendeb strait a 25 kilometer strait that connects the gulf of aden in southern yemen to the red sea it's one of the busiest shipping routes in the world and much of Israel is supplied using this route. They have said that they are only targeting ships that are owned by Israel, en route to Israel, or coming from Israeli ports. This has been disputed, as some ships with no links to Israel have also been targeted. On January 16th, the Zografia was targeted by Houthis. The Zografia is a Greek-owned Malta-registered ship. The Houthis responded by saying that the ship was in fact en route to an Israeli port. The drop in traffic in the Red Sea is really politically affected, not militarily affected. Uh, the US and uh, Europe to prevent the what would be viewed as a blockade of Israel, they pressured the shipping lanes to stop all the all the traffic through the Red Sea, when in fact that traffic, if it's not distant to Elad Port and, and Israel, gets maybe 1% of the overall volume of traffic in the Red Sea, they could pass through peacefully and not be bothered by the Houthis. Even if the Houthis are only targeting ships linked in some fashion to Israel, the risk has proved too much for many major companies. International Maritime Organization Chief Arsino Dominguez highlighted this issue in an address to the UN Security Council on January 3rd. A significant number of companies, around 18 of shipping companies, have already decided to reroute their vessels around South Africa in order to reduce the attacks on vessels and, of course, the impact that it has on seafarers in particular. This represents an additional 10 days to the journeys and of course has also a negative impact on trade and an increase on freight rates. Counted among these companies are the likes of major shipping groups Maersk and Haypack Lloyd. More recently, oil giant Shell also announced that it would suspend all shipments through the Red Sea indefinitely. All this is to say that the Houthis have been pretty successful. They wanted to show their commitment to the Palestinian cause, they wanted a response, and they got it. They've also been able to boost their profile domestically. The Houthis are generally hated by the population under their control. They are corrupt, they are vicious, they are dictatorial, they exercise extreme uh, police control over the population. Very few people actually like them. But when they started this battle, they got massive support from the general population. Even commanders of the armed groups that are fighting them have complimented them for this because this is where they took the right side of history and people couldn't uh, ignore it. The character of the Houthi movement and their history of appalling crimes is certainly worth mentioning. At this time, solidarity with the Palestinian people, who are suffering so much, is to many an honourable thing to do. But 
this doesn't inherently make the Houthis benign. In the past, they have committed grave atrocities in Yemen and against innocent Yemeni civilians. It was inevitable that the Western nations, who are so financially and materially reliant on Red Sea shipping lanes, would not allow this to continue indefinitely. They were always going to respond. On January 11th, the US and UK started to conduct airstrikes against Houthi targets in Yemen. When the Gaza conflict started in October, you would say that the US and its allies, UK and others, uh, would have three core objectives. This is Gerald Farstein, Distinguished Senior Fellow on US Diplomacy and Director of Arabian Peninsula Affairs at the Middle East Institute and former U.S. ambassador to Yemen. One, of course, was protecting the right of innocent passage in the Red Sea, ensuring that uh, international shipping could pass through the Bab el-Mendeb, Suez Canal, etc. Secondly, was to prevent the spread of the conflict outside of Gaza. This was a very clear priority for the uh, Biden administration. And then the third one was not to do anything that would jeopardize Uh, efforts to bring an end to the Yemen civil war, either uh, through the Houthi-Saudi negotiations or the UN-led peace uh, process. So those were three more or less equivalent objectives. The recent attacks have, of course, shifted priorities. I think what's happened over these past couple of months is that as the Houthis have stepped up their attacks into the Red Sea, the first point, uh, protecting international shipping, became more and more central to what the administration was trying to accomplish. And the other two diminished, uh, although stopping the spread of the conflict is still a priority. So I, I think that at that juncture, the US, UK, other members of the task force felt really that they had no alternative except to push back on the Houthis and uh, try to deter them. This took the form of airstrikes. Prior to this date, there had been confrontations at sea, shooting down drones, intercepting missiles and the like. But the recent airstrikes took the fight into Yemen, targeting positions on the ground. The problem, of course, is that airstrikes only, having, having endured seven years of airstrikes by the Saudis, uh, that's really got not uh, have very much deterrent effect on the Houthis. The Houthis are going to look at it and say, we put up with this for seven years. There's nothing that the U.S. and the U.K. are going to do in the space of a, a day or two days or a week or two weeks that's going to change that dynamic. We we have stood up to it. We'll continue to stand up to it. And Abdul Ghani al-Iriani again. The Houthis have been under attack for uh, nine years now, using F-15s and F-18s and American bombs and uh, American missiles by the Saudi-led coalition. There are no real targets for the Americans and the Brits and their allies to destroy anymore. The Houthis have adapted to uh, the situation. Uh, So all their military assets are mobile All their personnel are underground or the leaders are underground. And therefore, 
my information from people in Yemen is that the strikes were not very effective. The airstrikes were advertised as an effort of self-defence on the part of the US and UK, and additionally a warning and a deterrent against further Houthi actions. At this point, it's not unfair to say that they have achieved the opposite. And what we've seen, of course, is that the two or three rounds of strikes that the US has launched uh, really haven't had much impact on the Houthis. It has not shown any signs of deterring them from uh, continuing their campaign, nor has it succeeded in degrading them to the point where they can't sustain their campaign. Of course, we signaled that we were going to launch these attacks well in advance. The Houthis are smart and, you know, undoubtedly took precautions to protect the material that's really important to them. They would believe that whatever damage we did, whatever was destroyed, could either be repaired or replaced relatively quickly. Uh, And so they are willing to put up with these airstrikes as as, as long as it takes. Uh, they knew that there would be a, a retaliation. Uh, they were looking for it. They wanted to have retaliation because it makes it makes them uh, heroes, uh, not only in Yemen. It makes them heroes all over the, the region and the world. Uh, so the political capital that they got from this, from being struck by the Americans and the Brits, is massive and their losses are minimal. Despite all their ambitions about keeping shipping lanes safe and secure, the people making these decisions are not completely delusional. And if you look at the, the statements that the administration and that uh, that uh, London have put out afterwards, uh, you know, I think that they were in pains to, to say that they were not under any illusion uh, about the effect of these strikes, that, that they saw it as the least bad option that they had. Uh, they felt that they needed to do something and that this was the one arrow in the quiver, if you will, that they had. So they used it. But uh, I'd, I'd be surprised if anyone in the White House or in Whitehall uh, is shocked that it hasn't succeeded in deterring the Houthis. As if to confirm this, US President Joe Biden said this when asked by a reporter if the airstrikes in Yemen are working. Well, when you say working, are they stopping the Houthis? No. Are they going to continue? Yes. They don't believe they're working, but will continue. And by continuing along this path, for which they can see no alternatives, the US and UK are also providing the Houthis and the axis of resistance a propaganda victory. This propaganda win for the Houthis was reaffirmed on January 17th, when the U.S. bestowed one of its highest honours on the group. This was State Department spokesman Matthew Miller speaking to reporters. Earlier today, the Secretary of State announced the designation of the Houthis as a specially designated global terrorist, effective February 16th for threatening the security of the United States. Since November, the Houthis... Remember that in 2020, when the Trump administration, as it was walking out the door, designated the Houthis as an FTO... That's a foreign terrorist organization. The concern was that it would impede humanitarian assistance to innocent Yemenis, restrict the activities of the United Nations or international NGOs in Yemen in support of, of the population, 
uh, and that it would make dialogue with the Houthis uh, more difficult. My understanding is that the administration has tried to take steps that would fence off those issues, that would not restrict humanitarian support for Yemenis, it would not impact the dialogue. So, you know, at the end of the day, you haven't done uh, perhaps, or you've taken measures to limit any damage that uh, the designation would do. Uh, But, you know, but look, Providing weapons to the Houthis is already banned by the United Nations. Houthi leaders are already sanctioned. Houthi financiers are already sanctioned. You know, the the impact on the Houthis, again, uh, you know, positive for them because it raises their significance. You know, look, we're such a threat that the United States has now designated us as a as a terrorist group or whatever. It doesn't really have any negative impact on, on the Houthis. It's more performance art than anything else. Several actors are involved in the axis of resistance, but Iran is the biggest player and also the biggest backer of the Houthis. Over the years of the civil war and before, the Iranians have directed Houthi actions in Yemen and provided them with the money and arms to achieve their goals. Does this mean that the order for attacks on shipping lanes in the Red Sea came from Tehran? I think it was a Houthi decision that was backed and enabled by Iran. I- Iran was, of course, in a position where it, it has to do something, and their assets were Hezbollah in Lebanon or, or Houthis in Yemen, and Hezbollah is too valuable to be exposed and broken. Hezbollah is really the first line of defense of Tehran, not of Gaza. Go back to our last episode to hear why Iran doesn't want Hezbollah to enter the fray. While the Houthis were somewhat expendable in that calculus, so of course the Iranians uh, not only supported the decision to wage this battle, but they also, from an early time, they provided them with the right technology to be able to wage war uh, at sea. Abdul Ghani also suspects that Iran might have seen this as one of their final opportunities to use the Houthis. Look at it this way. The Houthis are not of the same uh, Shia tradition as Iran. And historically, they were connected to Saudi Arabia. And they are right next to Saudi Arabia. And the instruments of leverage for Iran are weapons, which are good for wartime, but in peacetime. The Saudi money is the more effective instrument of leverage. And the Houthis and the Saudis are about to reach a peace agreement. Therefore, the Saudis could lure the Houthis to their side. So in a a sense, the Iranians may have thought that they would cash their chips in Yemen before they get burned by the peace uh, that uh, seems to be imminent. And what about that peace agreement? The talks were brokered after many years of fighting and are desperately needed by the people of Yemen who have suffered greatly. How will the recent actions in the Red Sea and the strikes in Yemen impact the talks? I think it will, it will make the Saudis try harder to announce a deal as soon as possible. But the price for peace that Saudi Arabia will have to pay may have increased. They expect that with the new political capital they're getting, not only in Yemen, but also in the region, they can uh, renegotiate the deal with the Saudis and get even more concessions. That's their perception. 
they've expressed it by backtracking on some of the elements, some elements of the deal that was about to be announced in December. They were asking for huge amounts of reconstruction funding. So I think that will be the, the key element that they will go after. And for Gerald Farstein, he anticipates the Saudis and Emiratis compartmentalizing the peace talks and the recent troubles at sea. The Saudis and the Emiratis won't get involved uh, for a couple of reasons. One, of course, the Saudi priority is to maintain the dialogue with the Houthis. Uh, you know, their number one objective in Yemen is to get out of the, the fight. Mohammed bin Salman wants to concentrate on his domestic economy. He doesn't want to spend huge amounts of money or effort continuing the conflict in Yemen. So they don't want to see a return to uh, fighting with the Houthis, which again, you know, for, for seven or eight years, they, they maintain without any success or effect. Not only that, they're acutely aware of the regional optics of taking action against the Houthis. Uh, and then the other reality is that nobody in the region is going to be visibly involved in taking measures that are seen as supporting Israel in Gaza. And going against the Houthis uh, would be seen as supporting Israel, and, and nobody's willing to do that. You can look, look at Egypt, which is u- losing vast amounts of revenue uh, because of the drop in shipping through the Suez Canal, and yet the Egyptians won't say anything against the Houthis. Uh, they won't uh, join the task force. They won't do anything else uh, because they understand that as long as the Houthis say that they are fighting on behalf of the Palestinians in Gaza, there is no possible political advantage in confronting them. Nobody will do it. Approximately 12% of all global trade and 30% of global container traffic traverses the Suez Canal every year. This is equivalent to around a trillion dollars worth of trade. In the last financial year, Egypt made $9.4 billion from the Suez Canal. With the attacks, shipping through the Suez is down 30%. The US and UK have led these airstrikes in Yemen and share a common goal. But it's not the only thing that the two countries have in common. They also both have general elections this year. And longer shipping routes mean higher prices when the products on those ships hit the shelves. So, in addition to their moral crusade against terrorist actions, is this also an effort in electioneering? Yeah, there's no there's no question. I mean, when you talk about protecting uh, international shipping, global economy, what, what you mean is the supply chain and uh, disruptions and inflation and all of those things, you know, if... If suddenly, you know, Apple can't get the chips that it needs in order to produce the iPhones or, you know, Tesla can't get the parts that it needs in order to produce its uh, cars in Germany. You know, those are the kinds of things that people pay attention to. And if you're already facing a tight uh, re-election campaign and if your position uh, is already unpopular with particularly core elements of your base, Uh, This is the last thing that you want to see. The airstrikes conducted by the US and UK, which are ongoing, 
have not stopped the Houthi attacks, do not appear to be limiting the ability of the Houthis to attack, have boosted the Houthis' standing regionally and domestically, and even by the admission of the US president, will probably not stop the attacks. In truth, there is only one way to stop the attacks. Abdul Ghani al-Riani again. One of the spokespersons claims that the US has offered them recognition as the sovereign government of Yemen, but they refused the offer. Uh, I think that uh, it might be an exaggeration, but I don't think that they can, given the fact that they have roused the population so, I don't think they can backtrack. It's just politically impossible for them to backtrack. They will keep going until the genocide stops or the humanitarian aid to Gaza is allowed then. And Gerald Farstein. Well, the, the, the carrot is obviously ending the conflict in Gaza. If uh, there's a, uh, an end to the uh, fighting in Gaza, if there's an end to uh, Palestinian casualties in Gaza, then the Houthis won't have any justification for continuing attacking shipping in the Red Sea. Uh, and that uh, really is the key to, to ending this, uh, this situation. People don't want to accept that there's a linkage between the two, but there is. This episode of The New Arab Voice was written and produced by me, Hugo Goodridge. Our theme music was by Omar El Phil. The New Arab Voice will be back next week. Until then, you can find all our previous episodes on all major podcast platforms. You can also check out our Instagram page and Twitter account, both at The New Arab Voice, for additional content. We also have a weekly newsletter which you can sign up for. Find the link in the show notes. You can subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode, and you can also rate and review, which helps us spread the word. Don't forget to follow The New Arab on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for all the latest news, analysis and opinion from the region 